Welcome into the At The Yard podcast. Today's guest is Cal Poly San Luis Obispo recruiting coordinator Teddy Warricker, who's going to take us through his playing days, playing for his father, a couple of other legendary coaches, and all things Cal Poly baseball. All that and more on episode 44 of the At The Yard podcast. Welcome back to the At The Yard Podcast. Really excited about today's guest, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo Recruiting Coordinator, Teddy Warwicker joins me. Teddy, pretty bizarre time in our life right now. Uh, you know, obviously you guys not being on the field, but just in, as a whole, it's it's pretty wild. How, how are you and the family holding up? Uh, things going okay for you? Yeah, we're, we're holding up really well. Um, yeah, it's a, it's the silver lining is that we're home every day and, and normally during the springtime, we're our work weeks are they're they're seven days a week and uh so spending time at home with my wife and my boys has been it's most time i spent at home in 20 years so it's been it's been really good <laughs> oh, that, that, that's awesome and and you know spending time you, you mentioned there spending time with the family and and you come from a pretty large family teddy five brothers uh three of which also played college baseball and you, you know what was what was that like i mean i gotta imagine that it was just you know, competition, everything must've been a competition and, and, you know, take us through that. I mean, there must've been some intense games growing up, right? Yeah, it it was, it was great. You know, having, having five brothers. So I'm the second youngest. I have one younger brother, four older brothers. It's, it's like a traveling team, but, but they're like your best friends and your rivals all mixed into (laughs) one. But, uh, you know, I was, I was, was really lucky you know uh my two oldest brothers they they were both went through santa barbara high they both played college baseball we had a chance in 1988 to go back to omaha Uh, my brother was pitching at cal and cal advanced the college world series that year and uh we were staying at the holiday inn it was like the holodome had a big like dome at the hotel and i i was playing ping pong with an outfielder from university of miami and met coach Frazier at the hotel. And when you have older brothers, that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to follow in their, in their footsteps. And, and uh, like going back to Omaha and, and watching my brothers play in college, like I knew what I wanted to do um, after high school. Yeah. And that must've been a really neat, neat experience. You know, just like you said, I mean, I, I have an older brother and, you know, just tagging along and going to his games and you, you definitely want to do what they do. And, and you had a chance to, to f- kind of follow in their footsteps. I mean, first you had an opportunity to play for your dad, uh, legendary coach there at Santa Barbara high school and walk us through that experience. Cause you hear a lot about, you know, kids who played for their dad, they'll say, or, or even the, the dads will say, you know, that, they coach their sons the hardest or, or, you know, they're, they're the toughest on their sons. And I mean, when you're driving to school with your dad and driving home with your dad after practice, I mean, that, that can be a little daunting, right? But what was that experience like for you? And, you know, what sort of things did you, did you take from that? Well, I, I, I loved playing for my dad. Um, that was a really unique experience. It's funny. Like when you, when you say, you know, driving to school with dad, like it triggers a whole memory, like, you know, you can picture the route that we drove to school, what time we got there. We're listening to K-Tide every morning, 99.9 classic rock in Santa Barbara and uh, pulling in. But uh, 
it was great. He, he was my freshman football coach. Um, I played freshman JV and then I didn't, you know, play varsity until I was a junior, but you know, really my senior year, uh, as a catcher, um, that whole dynamic and he's calling the pitches. And sometimes I felt like I was rolling with the pitcher and I'm not looking in for signs and he'd holler out at me and I just kind of wave him off like, Hey, we're, we're good. I, I, I got this dad. Um, but, uh, I, I loved it. Um, I worked, I worked hard because my dad was the coach. Like I, in, innately, I, I knew that I had to work hard, but because my dad was the head coach, like, uh, I, I felt like I had to go above and beyond. So you're, you're kind of, you're, you can kind of be in the crosshairs for your teammates. If you're, if your dad's the head coach and, um, it was a really unique experience. I wish I was good enough to play freshman all the way through senior year. But for me, it was those two years and, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was, I would, I would never trade it for anything. Yeah. I mean, that, that seems to be kind of a lost thing nowadays, right? With everything being sped up, you know, you have guys that are freshmen playing varsity because, you know, we're, we're roughly the same age. And I, I remember, you know, being in high school, you, you didn't have the freshman on varsity like you do nowadays. It just, it just didn't happen. Like you coaches wouldn't do it because they didn't feel it was the right thing to do. Even if the kid maybe was good enough. I remember we had a, a really talented freshman and uh, my dad was, was kind of, you know, he was toying with the idea of like, maybe he's varsity and the assistant coach was like, it, it's not fair to, to him. Like it's, it's, it's too much. It's too much pressure. It's so it was, yeah, to- totally different. But you know, kids, kids nowadays, I think they are, they are definitely more skilled just, just from the amount of games and travel ball and the season never ends. Like we played 23 games when I was a senior in high school. We had no fall ball because you weren't allowed and you weren't allowed to play with a high school team in the summer. So uh, fortunately, like after I graduated, they started American Legion in Santa Barbara. And so I picked up another maybe, you know, I don't know, 16, 20 games that summer. And uh, Bob Bronsma, who was the longtime head coach at UCSB, he was our head coach for that American Legion team. But uh, yeah, just just a diff- different time, and uh, maybe kids were able to just go through the natural progression of, of kind of like earning their stripes. Whereas now, a kid can be really, really talented, and he shows up on campus. Like the coach would almost be foolish not to bring him up on varsity if, if you know he he's skilled enough. But yeah, totally. Like you know, you're a JV squad. Like you, if you're a freshman, you're a freshman and you're, you're sophomore, maybe you got brought up, but you know, it was basically varsity was just juniors and seniors. Yeah. Yeah. And so after you, after you finished there playing at Santa Barbara, you, you head off to the Hancock college where, I mean, you had a pretty, pretty outstanding career there. I mean, school records and home runs and RBI and, you know, behind the plate and, and playing first base. And, what was the JUCO experience like for you? Uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, rave about it, and and those that have gone through it, you know, think that it really kind of formed them and and molded them into you know the players and ultimately the men they became. But for you personally, what what was that experience like? Well, for, first of all, like going away from home was a big deal. So for you know, just going to junior college, it was it was an hour north, but I'm away from home. Uh, junior college ball was really really um it was a great level for development so all throughout the fall we have a tuesday thursday saturday sometimes sunday fall schedule so uh you got 
a ton of reps and a ton of lab at bats. Like Thursdays, like Cal Poly is going to come down and play Hancock or, or then the weekends we're going to travel to San Mateo. We're going to play Sac city. Um, so you, you just develop your skills from the repetition of the game and going into a place. We had a couple like red shirt sophomores and, and those guys were, you know, among the leaders on the team, but put you into a different competitive environment. And like, I remember coming back, like, you know, first day I step on campus, like I'm, I'm guns firing. Like, I'm like, I'm trying to take that guy's job and that guy's job and that guy's job. And, and, uh, uh, coach Osborne ran a really tight ship, which was good for me, uh, in, in hindsight, like, I mean, very, very old school and high discipline. Like you can't wear wrist tape, you can't wear sweatbands. Like he ran a tight ship, but with that, it was really high demand. You played the game the right way and the schedule was, was packed. And, uh, so we really got better just through the repetitions of the game and the competition of internally, because you've got big rosters and in junior college. I don't know if we would start the fall with between 50 or 60, you know, first day of catching drills, there's six guys behind the plate and you're, you're competing every day for that playing time. So, um, it was really good for me and, and, some really talented sophomores in that team. And, but I mean, I, I was trying to, I was, I was trying to take their spot in the order like every day that would in the back of my head, that's what I was trying to do. Like, I'm like, you, you might be Richard sophomore, but I'm trying to hit four hole, not you. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. And, and, and after that, you know, you, you, you played there for your two years and then you had the opportunity to play in the Alaska league for the Kenai Oilers, where you guys ended up winning the, the NBC national championship. And, and at the time that was, you know, pretty much the preeminent summer collegiate league. I mean, it's still, you know, very highly thought of now. Uh, but at the time, I mean, that was the league to play in for college players in the summer. And so, you know, take us through that experience. I mean, that that had to be, you know, pretty cool for you coming from the junior college ranks before you headed off to, to play Division One baseball. So take us through that experience, if you would. Yeah, so, so going back to that era, um, I remember being contacted um, to go play in Kenai in the summertime and, and I get a contract in the mail. Like I, I've never seen Alaska. I don't know what it looks like. Um, I'm expecting like nature. I'm expecting there's going to be like, I live in a cabin and out in the middle of nowhere. So, um, when I'm, when, when I'm taking the, the flight in, so we, we flew into, uh, we flew into what we got Anchorage capital, um, and then take a little little puddle jumper down to Kenai, and guy on the plane was my teammate that summer, Mario Iglesias, and the first time we um, had ever met each other, and, and still have a friendship to this day. Day and like we had both had our heads shaved in the summertime, which you know back in the day was you know a lot of ball players would just go buzz cut and uh, just a brand new world. And uh, the league was was really competitive and super talented, like Darren Dreifert. I don't know if he was the first pick overall in the draft that year, but he went up to Alaska while he's hashing out his contract with the Dodgers. So he pitched up there all summer. Like, um, and we faced him, uh, during the league and he was golden, golden spikes winner. I don't know, hit 20 something bombs. And he was, he was like a dude, yeah. like first real velocity I, I'd seen in my life. And then, and then we ended up facing, uh, the glacier pilots at the NBC championship in Wichita. I think there was 12,000 people at the game. I had never been in front of a crowd like that in my life. I, I came up to bat and I 
took a swing and miss and like there was a crowd reaction i was like what Did something happened like i kind of <laughs> looked around but um it was it was a uh it was a really cool experience looking back on it and like we're we're down there on the peninsula you you have a you work at the field every day you play um i want to say there was four four future big leaguers on my on my team uh Dreifert was in the league jeff jenkins jose cruz jr um really really talented and and uh yeah, it's a it's a really memorable experience being up there. Yeah, so you, you had the chance to play in the midnight game, and, and what was that like? I mean, because you read about it, you hear about it, and you know, obviously, those of us that live in Southern California or heck, anywhere in the lower forty eight, you know, have have no idea what you know what that is, right? I mean, the sun is out at midnight, so what was that like? Yeah, it it just it it doesn't get dark. Less like if you want to if you want to walk out at three o'clock in the morning i mean you you can see the road i don't you have to turn your headlights on so yeah and and fairbanks was a 12-hour drive north from kenai so we did play in that midnight game they, they call it the olympic village there at the field but it's, it's just trailers inside of a chain link fence um and we went out i think it was like ryan christensen myself and one other player we took bp i think at like three o'clock in the morning um rainstorm hit got all the balls soaked put them back in the bucket snuck back into our trailers the next day during bp our, our head coach sonny galloway was like how, how did the dad gum balls get all wet and yeah, no one no one fessed up to it but yeah like you're, you're sitting in a trailer and, and you can't tell is it is it 5 a.m is it 10 a.m is it 3 a.m um and no internet no phones you find something to do. So that was, that was one of the nights we were up there. We just went out in the field and hit at like three in the morning. Yeah. So after you finish up there in Alaska, you head out to uh, Arizona where you had signed uh, to play division one baseball and had a chance to play under legendary coach, Jerry Kindle, uh, you know, there at Arizona. And, and, you know, that must've been a really neat experience for you. What was that? Uh, what was that year for you? Uh, like, I mean, I'm sure you had visions of, you know, ultimately getting to pro ball and, going there and having a big time year and uh, you know, how did that play out for you well it was uh it was a dream to play in the pack you know that was from you know probably junior year of high school a really really dear family friend of ours he was my dad's assistant coach for 30 plus years and uh he and his wife both went to university of arizona and i remember going down to jackie robinson at, at ucla uh my junior year and this was the JT Snow, Scott Erickson, Alan Zinter, um, Trevor Hoffman, I think, uh, Wildcats. And uh, so I go on the field after the game. You know, I got braces on the 140 pounds <laughs> and uh, take a picture with Alan Zinter, who was a switch hitting catcher. I think it was a first round pick, like, like stud. And I still have that picture. And I'm wearing kind of like a old school Arizona windbreaker jacket and, and uh i mean the dream in my head was really real and really alive and i was a long way away from that so um not only being able to go to arizona but you know under the guidance of of george ramp who was our assistant coach and, and really dear family friend uh was a big deal now it didn't unfold the way i wanted it to uh i, I had turned down a, a, a pretty sizable offer from the houston astros after my sophomore year at hancock thinking like i just go have one more good year 
I'm going to, I'm going to parlay this offer into something bigger and go star in, in, in the pack and, and then, uh, get that good payday. But it didn't really, it didn't go down that way. So, um, I had to pivot there at the end of the season. And so I was, I was really kind of a part-time player and coming off the bench. And, um, I was eventually after the season, I was approached by Brad Cameron, who was with the Cleveland Indians at the time. I think it was his first year scouting and he had the four corners. So he had that whole area down there and called me up and said, Hey, you know, we, we'd like to work you out as a pitcher. And I was like, yeah, I, I don't pitch. Uh, I'm a catcher. I'm, I'm a left-handed hitting catcher slash first baseman. And he's like, well, if we're interested in drafting you as a pitcher, so I'd like you to throw a bullpen. So, uh, I, I think I'm kind of out of options. Like I, I'm, I don't think I'm going back for my senior year. I want to play pro ball. So, uh, he shows up, we, we, we head over to sunset field and, and try and get in gates are locked 15 foot high gate. Don't want to jump it. So we drive over to high school field, end up, throwing a, a bullpen to my roommate who was an outfielder he had no gear on had a brand new catcher's glove and and um you know i'm i'm under the instructions to cut it loose so uh <laughs> I, I cut it loose and and uh i think two days later or I, I don't know very soon thereafter the draft and he calls me up and says hey you we've drafted you in the 24th round as a right-handed pitcher and um here's our offer and I, it was not a great offer, um, but uh, I decided that was a route I wanted to go. So he drove up to Santa Barbara, and we, we signed the contract and the picnic table in, in, in my dad's front yard. Yeah, and and so you're one step closer to that dream, right? Of of, of the pro ball, the big leagues, and and all you know the the dream everybody has, right? To, to be a professional ball player, and and you you know you you sign your contract. Uh, you know, as a pitcher, which is, you know, really quite interesting given that you were a catcher first baseman primarily, but you spent six seasons in pro ball and, you know, that experience had to be life-changing in some fashions, but, but what was that experience like for you? Because a lot of guys who, who just play, you know, minor league ball and, and don't quite reach the big leagues, you know, some guys are, are maybe resentful or, or have a bad taste in their mouth, uh, you know, when they're done playing, but what w- what was the, the pro ball experience like for you? Well, it, it, you're, you're, you're right. Like it was, it was the dream. It was the dream from the time that I knew what baseball was like, I wanted to play in the major leagues and there was no backup plan. There's no thought that I'm not going to get there. I, I mean, I was a very, very average high school player like honorable mention all channel league my senior year which is like that's the coach's award you know that's like <laughs> hey that's the good good job good effort so uh going into pro ball like you know like i said i that i had to quickly pivot and, and now i'm trying to do it as a pitcher and uh sign with the indians to go down to winter haven florida for mini camp and you know you're gonna throw a 20 pitch pin I don't know what side of the rubber to stand on, stretch, wind up, no idea. Do you have any other pitches? And I said, no, you know, I, I don't, you know, I'm brand new. <laughs> and, and by the, by the way, I'm, I'm throwing this bullpen next to um, a little stocky right-hander named Bartolo Colon, who's, I can hear the ball coming out of his hand. And I'm like, this, this guy's better than me. Um, and that year we, uh, the Indians signed uh, Jarrett Wright out of Catella high and, you know, Jarrett Wright was touching 100 miles an hour in high school when no one touched 100 miles an hour. So, uh, first month 
the assignment of Burlington up in the Appy League in the first month. I just threw bullpens and then progressed into some uh, live batting practice. And then I think I think I made my debut in Huntington against a Cubs affiliate. I can't can't remember. It was all a blur. Uh, I'm sure I walked a few guys. Um, so 19 innings in rookie ball and then get shipped down to instructional league. And then uh, 95 uh, was assigned to Columbus and South League, and, and the organization made me a starter. So that was a big deal. So I went from not pitching to 19 innings in rookie ball to 130 innings in a ball. So it was, it was a kind of a rapid progression. Um, and uh, after the 96 season, I was put on the 40 man roster and uh, was you know, part of the big league sh- uh, spring training camp and the heyday of the Indians with, you know, Manny Ramirez and Kenny Lofton, Jim Tomey, uh, lots and lots of, of incredible players. So, uh, yeah, it, it's looking back on it. It, it was, a, it's an invaluable experience. Um, it's really, really difficult to make it. So, um, that talent level as you start to get towards the top, I mean, it the, the funnel gets really, really narrow. But uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, you know, I've, I've done the whole Eastern Seaboard. You know, the I ninety five. I've done Miami to Maine back there on the East Coast. Yeah, and so it after the ninety nine season, it you know. How did how did you leaving baseball happen? I mean, were you were you released? Were did you decide to walk away? How, how take us through that process? Well, yeah, you. I don't. Minor league players don't retire. They they get retired. Yeah. You know. Uh, so so I was released in uh, I was released in spring training in '98 with the the Indians. Um, Went to spring training in 98, was was scheduled to go back to Akron, uh, hurt my shoulder in spring training, stayed in extended spring until, gosh, almost, I think, June, and then was released, spent about, about the next, oh, God, oh, seven, eight months back in Santa Barbara and driving down to L.A. on the weekends to, to throw in scout ball games. And uh, eventually my, my arm was, was back in a pretty good place, and then I, um, uh, John Ramey, uh, cornered me at, at la pierce and said that we're going to go drive over to denny's and we, we want to sign you to uh atlanta braves and so it, that 98 season was a wash and i spent the rest of that year rehabbing and then 99 i ended up going to spring training with the atlanta braves um didn't make it out of spring training got released there uh spent some time in reno and in independent ball uh, got released there and was was pitching just to try to like stay in it a little bit with uh, just a junior college summer team team and at one point one game after the game i was like I'm, i've had it like I'm, I'm going the wrong direction and the game is just not fun anymore like i'm, I'm beating myself myself up over something that that's really passing me by so actually like walking away from the game was a big relief at that point because it'd been six years and i was on that that path and then kind of got semi-close but then it just came really crashing down so um my dad at the time like his first response was like hey then we're gonna go back to school and finish your degree so you know this is probably july i would say by third week of august i uh enrolled at cal state northridge at extension extension campus in camarillo and was in 15 units working 30 35 hours a week going to school and then and then started helping coach there at santa barbara high school 
So after pro ball, Teddy, you, you go home, I, I presume, right? I mean, you, you go home and, and you coach with your dad at Santa Barbara High School. And, uh, you know, you go from playing with him, playing under all these other guys, and, and then you come back home and, and coach uh, a season with your dad. Uh, that had to be a pretty neat experience for you, too. Uh, it was awesome. And and coming out of pro ball, the only thing that I knew I was going to do was was finish my degree. So I, I really didn't have any – I didn't have any designs necessarily on coaching. Like I was – you get you get out of that, you know, six-year run of baseball, and, and um, I'm like, well, i got to finish my degree. I think I had about two years, two-plus years to finish – and, uh, so I jumped, I jumped in with, with my, with my dad. And, and, uh, so that 99, uh, that's when I finished, picked it up with, uh, my dad in the, in the fall and started going back to school. And that 2000 season at Santa Barbara high, uh, we, we made a run all the way to the CIF finals at Dodger stadium. And, you know, really, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of it was on the shoulders of, of uh, Matt Vasquez, a right-handed pitcher that ended up going to UCSB, and, and he pitched in the big leagues with, I think, the Tigers, Pirates, maybe the Twins as well, and, and, and is still a pitching coach in, in uh, the minor leagues with the Minnesota Twins organization. So that was it was an unbelievable ride, like uh, extra inning playoff win at Thousand Oaks High, like 3-2 and 10, and I think, I think Matt, through, had a no hitter through seven and like i remember i made a pitching uh, i made a mound visit and my dad's like he's throwing a no hitter and i'm like I, I know i mean but <laughs> we're we're gonna we're gonna talk about a couple things um, so at that point like really my my sights were set on okay i'm gonna i'm gonna finish my degree i was a history major <clears throat> i want to teach history and coach baseball and 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 really kind of just I think I'm going to follow, follow right in the footsteps of my dad here at Santa Barbara high. And, uh, it was, I think maybe the next fall, like the fall of 2000, uh, that the job at Santa Barbara city college opened up and, uh, I ended up being a candidate and, and, uh, I wasn't hired until January of 2001. And I'm a, a head coach at a junior college and, and I'm, I have got a little coaching experience. I have zero head coaching experience and, and, uh, but, but I was, I was given an opportunity and, and, um, that was, it was, it was tough. I mean, it was really challenging in a lot of different ways, but all of those challenges, they, you have to be creative and, and find a way to overcome, you know, whatever's kind of put in front of you. So, um, it was it was strange. I had no intention of coaching, and then maybe two years later, um, I'm the head coach at a, at a junior college, and then then my my sights were really set on okay, this is what I want to do. You know, probably for the rest of my my working days. You know, as long as I can do it, this is what I want to do. Yeah, that, that's awesome. I mean, I I got to imagine that at some point recruiting to a campus that's just a couple of blocks from the beach was was somewhat uh somewhat easy for you but uh you know the last seven years there i mean six winning seasons uh you know a school record 34 wins in 07 what what kind of clicked for you you know around year three year four uh that really turned things around for you know not only you but the entire program 
Well, it was uh, it was a combination of things. So, like wh- when I when I started there, um, Larry Lee, who's now my boss, was the head coach at Cuesta College, and I think the first time we played Cuesta, if I'm not mistaken, I think I think we lost like eleven to one, and their guy threw a no hitter. And we like tried to steal third down eleven nothing with two outs and the catcher threw it in left field. That's how we scored our run. Um, and they're like, that wasn't very smart. And I was like, I was just trying to score one. But at the time, like his program was elite. They were going to the final four. And although I didn't didn't have like a really really you know uh, broad background in coaching, I could recognize coach that had his his program clicking on all cylinders they could defend they could hit they could run bases they could pitch they had power um so i we coached against each other for two years he was he my first years at santa barbara were his last two at cuesta 2001 2002 so after he took the job at cal poly um, i cold called him i just called him up and and say hey coach I'd, i'd like to come up and talk shop with you and, and talk about what you do with your hitters and, and what you do with your program. So I was really fortunate that he opened the door to me in that regard. And I had a yellow pad of paper and we spent three or four hours at the field that day, um, covering any and everything that I, I could think of, uh, number of steps on leads at first steps at second base, uh, swing, uh, hitting drills, all of that. So probably about, it was like year four. I had a, pretty good core of players and uh back then we would run a summer team and i would coach those guys in the summertime and we just kind of started to turn the corner and uh kids were really buying into what we were trying to do and uh, i continue to really utilize uh coach lee as a mentor and and Hey, what do you think about this? And then, and and he always talked about barriers. Like you, you there, there are these barriers that are going to be in front of your program. And when you break down one, there'll be another one and you'll continue to break that down. So, uh, Oh five, we made a trip to the playoffs and it was like the first time for Santa Barbara city college, maybe 28 years. And I remember where I was when I got the phone call and what a big deal it was. And we went down to Palomar and, um, Buck Taylor, who you might know, he was at Palomar yep. for a long time, and now at Kansas State, he was a third base coach, and we had a great series. Uh, they they beat us, they, they knocked us out in two straight, and I think the second game, maybe it went like twelve or thirteen innings, but uh, it was that was a big big accomplishment for our program, and and you get a little bit of momentum, and then uh, uh, I had Matt Hobbs, who who now. Um, is the pitching coach at university of Arkansas. And, and he really did a lot for me as a head coach by bringing a whole nother element of not only organization, but, but just really drive to the program. So Matt and I were together in in 05 and 06 and he really helped me lay a foundation there. It was, it was, he was really unique, like a incredible drive and work ethic um, he had a plan. He was organized, and uh, we made that playoff run. I'm like, okay, now we're going to roll. The whole team was gone, so we start all over with all freshmen the next year. And I think we finished under 500, and uh, I mean, I was crushed. Like, like we lost, oh, I don't know, I don't know. We lost 11 games by one run that year, 
and uh, had this good group of freshmen. And, and then I kept those guys in the summertime. It was a small core group. It was uh, uh, Brian Buck and Ryan Morford and Johnny D'Alba, Carlos Alonso, these, this, this small core of players that uh, we had, a pitcher named Pete Ruiz, uh, Freddie Vasquez, and uh, maybe about 15 guys in the summertime. And we just really started to click. And then that next year, um, we, we had a really magical run there at, at Santa Barbara city college and, and won the, uh, Western state title. And, uh, I don't know if irony is the right word, but we, we clinched the title at Cuesta. And when I had started at Santa Barbara, like Cuesta was like Mount Everest, like I was like, I look across the field and I'm like, I don't know how we're ever going to catch that program or even get on that level. And, um, we did. And it was like, it was so, so fitting because when I, when I first met Larry and he was coaching at Cuesta, it was, uh, he, they're just complaining, a uh, completely different level than us. And, and, uh, we finally, even though he was gone, it was, Cuesta was still kind of, that was the, that was the team to, to beat, um, in our conference. And, uh, so it just, the junior college level teaches you how to do everything. You know, you drive the van, you're the strength coach, you're the fundraiser. You take care of the field. You order the uniforms. You're the recruiting coordinator. You you do it all. Um, so, you know, I look back and it was there was a lot of challenges with the park. Like we we share the field with the city and the softball program, and we have a plastic fence that you roll up and take down for games. And um, yep. I've but, seen it. <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah. But but we but we we built it and. Um, and uh, Coach Walker's done a great job down there, and, and that program's—he's taken it, you know, way way further than at any point uh, when I was there. But but it was a unique opportunity, and and um, it's like the, it, maybe it was the perfect opportunity to take something that was was pretty low and and uh, try to try to elevate it, and, and we we started to do that. Yeah. So and uh, after the 2010 season, you transitioned over to Cal Poly slow where, where you're currently at. And what was that transition like? I mean, I got to presume you're, you're obviously your longstanding relationship with coach Lee uh, played a, a pretty big factor in that, but how did that process play itself out? Is it something that you sought or is it something that, you know, coach Lee, you know, picked up the phone and called you and said, Hey, I've got an, uh, I got an opening. Well, I was, I was in Omaha. I was with the travel ball team making some bucks and um, a friend of mine texted me and said, hey, there's an opening at Cal Poly. Uh, recruiting coordinator had just left for Long Beach State. So I'm in Omaha coaching this tournament back there. And I told my wife, hey, I'll be gone for seven days and I'm going to make a little bit of money. And she's like, great. You know, we're, we're, we'll, we'll take whatever we can get back in those days. And uh, so I text, text coach and I said, hey, uh, heard you have an opening. He goes, yeah, we're, we're interviewing someone tomorrow. And I was like, damn, like <laughs> that it's, it's over. And it hasn't yeah. even, it didn't even start. It's, right, it's over. Right. And then I think, uh, a couple days later, um, he shot me a text and said, Hey, if, uh, if you're interested, um, we'd like you to come up and talk about the job. So, uh, I got back from Omaha and drove up to San Luis Obispo and sat down in his office and, and Jason Kelly was a pitching coach here at the time. And, I don't know. We talked for an hour or two and then I walked outside with JK and JK was kind of telling, talking to me about the school in San Luis Obispo and, and like the light bulb 
you know, went off in my head. I go, Oh, he's, he's recruiting me like I, and, uh, so I think I took the job that day and then I called my wife. I said, Hey, I took, took the job at at Cal Poly. (laughs) Uh, I didn't even ask her. I just said, yeah, I, I took it. And, um, I would say within seven days we, we, we packed up and moved up to San Luis. And so we've been here since 2010. So it was something that I wanted to do. Um, I knew after, uh, probably my fourth year at Santa Barbara city college that I wanted to coach in division one. And, uh, you know, at the time, like I was, I was kind of like, you know, banging on Dave Serrano's door at Cal state Fullerton. I like keep telling him like, Hey coach, I'm ready. Like I'm ready. I'm ready. And, uh, I went down to the super regional, I think in 08 and talked to Dave at the, the backstop, you know, 20 minutes before the game. And I'm like telling him, you know, I'm trying to promote and, Hey, I'm, I'm right. I'll do whatever he takes. And so it's hard. It was hard, you know, just to get that opportunity. And so, um, I'm really grateful that, that coach reached out to me and, and, uh, I've been here ever since. Yeah. I, mean, I talked to just doing these podcasts and just talking to guys when you see them out and, you know, everybody seems to have this long line of, you know, a few years here, a few years there, a few years there, you know, multiple stops along the way. I mean, you look at your career path. I mean, a year as a high school coach and then, you know, several years as the head coach at a city college. And, and you know, now you're 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 10 years into uh, Cal Poly slow. I mean, it's and it's all pretty, you know, I mean, they're all in the same neighborhood, if you will. I mean, do you ever sit back and say, you know, wow, it's been it's been a pretty, uh, I'll say, smooth and or easy, you know, just for lack of better terms, ride, comparatively speaking? Yeah, well, I mean, I I was trying trying to go anywhere. I, I had hit a, a certain level of, of, I don't know, frustration and, and things at Santa Barbara City College. And I, you know, so I started filling out applications all over the country, University of Maine, William and Mary. And I was at the time, um, I think this is probably a year before our son was born. And I told my wife, I was like, I'm, I'm we're getting out of here. And uh, I never even got a sniff. I mean, maybe I got a couple of rejection letters, but um, we actually interviewed at a junior college up in Northern California. And uh, it was a full time position. I didn't get that. So it was, you know, anywhere but here type of attitude. And then you like get through you know you know no response from anywhere uh i really just tried to i just refocused and just said you've got to just be present with this job and and continue to work really hard so i went through all those different phases and uh ultimately i got back to okay if i just if i really focus on my job and and uh Hopefully that opportunity will come, but you can't focus on things that, you know, are outside of your control. And then ultimately that's how the opportunity presented itself. So, um, you know, I, yeah, and I've been here for 10 years and so I'm like 10 at Santa Barbara, 10 at slow. And, um, what I've learned, what I, one of the big, big things I learned from my dad is, um, one of the most important qualities that a coach can have is, is loyalty. And, uh, as a head coach, you want that from your assistants. You know, that's that's number one. You want loyalty from your assistant coaches. And, and uh, so that's really, really deeply ingrained in me. And that is, that's my relationship with, with Coach Lee. Like, 
he gave me the opportunity and um i remain really really loyal to him just i I will never never forget that and never take it for granted because it's like he he plucked me off the heap you know and, and and got me in the door so um we, we we love it in San Luis. Um, our youngest son was born here. My wife loves it here, and, and we do have a great opportunity. And, and uh, so again, like you know, the grass isn't greener somewhere else. And, and uh, given that opportunity, I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna stay here until he kicks me out. I mean, that's that's the plan. <laughs> well, based on on your guys' track record, I don't think that's happening anytime soon. I mean, you guys have. Really, I mean that the program's really established itself. You know, certainly uh, as one of the the better programs on the West Coast, and and definitely in within the conference. I mean, you guys have had you know a lot of success developing players, and and it's often, you know, it's not often you're getting the you know blue chip five star guy so to speak coming in to play it slow. So what what is kind of the philosophy there with with player development with you know the coaching style if you will uh under under coach Lee. Well, I mean you you said it. It, it it's player development. That is the model. Um he is a incredible teacher of the game. He's incredibly consistent with what he teaches and the fundamentals. And it's an accumulation of those teachings that the players ultimately really, really start to develop. So um, he, he, he's fairly conservative with the roster. So when we go down that road with kids and, and make commitments, it's going to take a lot for us to kind of pivot and change course. So that's where his strengths really, really lie. Like if you, you know, the top 10 round draft picks over his you know, 17 years here, 18 years here, you know, it's, it's north of 30 and big leaguers and uh, playing the game the right way, um, having a very, very detailed practice plan every day, but it's that accumulation of reps. I mean, Coach Lee was breaking down guys on video, you know, 25 years ago in a VHS with the, the, the fast forward cur- cursor, you know, going frame <laughs> by frame. Um <clears throat> And it's funny watching the evolution of, of hitting. And now you're seeing all these big leaguers talk about, no, I'm trying to hit, you know, low line drives, like launch angles, not a thing. When I, I, I hit a home run, it's because I've mishit the ball. We watched some clips on Ken Griffey Jr., Mark McGuire, watched one yesterday on uh, Miguel Cabrera. And uh, he's a very, very astute observer, excellent teacher, and very consistent with the model of the program. And, and that's why guys, we feel when they come in the program, really take their game to the next level. And, and you're right. Like we don't, we're not getting necessarily the blue chip recruits, um, but we're, we're, we're looking for, we're looking for a baseball player. And, uh, you know, we had a, a great shortstop here um, during my time, uh, Peter Van Gansen, 2013, 14, 15, yeah, I think when he committed, he was like 135 pounds. I mean, little tiny guy. And it was in the National Classic at El Dorado High. And uh, they had seen him. This is, you know, they had seen, they had, he was on their radar even before I came to Cal Poly. And uh, I think he goes double bomb against a big six seven righty at El Cap. And I called coach and I was like, God, this kid can really play. Like, I know he's tiny. And, and Pete came in and, and, 
was a three-year starter for us and, and just retired from the minor leagues just this, uh, just this past offseason, had a great career, and I think started every game but maybe one in a three-year career. So um, we lean on you know relationships with, with high school coaches and, and people that we know, and um, I think ultimately we're just trying to find a baseball player. Like, he's got to have some skills, but uh, um, – find whatever whatever it is that we're looking for that fits and, and we, we we're trying to find that there, there's some foundation of skills and then work over the next three or four years just to, to really take that um the skill set not only the physical skill set but the mental skill set uh to the next level yeah i mean I, i'm glad you brought up that that mental skill set because i mean obviously you know cal poly academically is is no slouch and so I mean, finding the right fit, right? I mean, uh, the guys I've talked to recently on the podcast are all talking about we want to find guys that are that are the right fit, and that seems to mean something different to everybody. But what what is kind of you know the the, the right fit for uh, you know a Cal Poly or for you when you're out recruiting a guy? You you mentioned you know one or two skills or you know some some skill sets, uh, obviously, but. But what is kind of the ideal fit, you know, in your eyes when you're looking for guys? Well, it, it definitely it does it does start on um, the academic side. Like if I'm if I'm even interested among the first questions, or if not, the first question is, you know, how are you doing academically? Because uh, I think our school it's it's less than ten percent of kids apply get into school here, so it's in really really high demand. So the academic side is it's a real factor. Um, I'm looking at my bulletin board in my office right now, and I only have a you know four. I got a couple pictures up there. I've got a couple things, and I've got entrance requirements. <laughs> it's right there in, in in black and white. So that is a it's a real factor. But you know, I really feel like it's an attractive factor. You know, so it's going to be a very high quality degree. So if a kid graduates from here, going off in the professional world. Um, if he's not going to be a professional baseball player, he's going to be have a real path for success. Um, I think it's intangibles less like uh, the high motor, the toughness. Um, you, you you want to you're trying to find a kid that that loves the game of baseball, um, and uh, when you kind of have uh, that love for the game, usually you're, you're going to find a kid that's got you know, a kind of a blue collar work ethic as well. And, uh, that's, that's a big deal. Like we, we really want to find a kid that, um, loves to play, loves to practice, loves to lift and wants to learn and get better. And, uh, so it's, you, you see them go through a, a huge evolution from their freshman year until their senior year. And some guys are ready their freshman year and some guys are not even close to being ready. Uh, Mark Mathias, who was Big West Player of the Year, Team USA, I think it was a third rounder. He got you know forty at bats as a freshman here, and he was not ready at all. And and somewhere in the beginning of that twenty fourteen season, I mean, it clicked. And when it clicked, it was it was unbelievable. He was one of the best. I mean, he hit like four eighty for like two months. Like every time he came up, it was a line drive somewhere. Um, so it was it was a uh, you know it, it it's it happens in an, at a different place for everyone when they come in. Like I said, some guys are ready right away and some guys it takes a, a full year. Um, but going back to that player development model of coach Lee, like he, in his experience, like he has an understanding that, yeah, a lot of times it will take a full year 
So we really invest in that development side and, and looking for, you know, sometimes it'll be the first year, but sometimes it'll be the second year. Sometimes it'll be the third year. And uh, that's where keeping continuity with, with the roster kind of benefits you. And, and you get some, you get some big payoff with guys that are, that you keep in the program. Yeah. And, and I've, I've pulled up to the field, Teddy, you know, an hour, hour, 20 minutes before a game only to find that you've beaten me there. And you, you know, you're <laughs> kind of taking stock of what's going on. And, and so how much, how much does that weigh, you know, into what you're evaluating, you know, the player you talked about, you know, all the hard nosed players, the kind of the blue collar mentality, but I mean, how much, how much weight do you put into what a guy does in, you know, preparing for the game and the interactions with teammates and, you know, and, and, and the things you see before the game actually starts. I mean, it, it tells a huge part of the story. Um, quick story. So I drive up to San Leandro. I'm going to see Brad Beasley play. And, uh, you know, you've got to Google map the school and see where the field is and where can I park and what gate can I get through and how can I get there? So, I want to be there. I want to be at the field before the team goes out to stretch. Like I, that's, that's my, that's my comfort zone. I show up. I don't, I don't want the pitcher throwing his third pitch of the game. I want to be there uh, way early, really. So I get to San Leandro. The team's not out yet. And uh, I'm there to see Brad Beasley, who he's a senior in our program right now. And uh, he's setting up the sound system. And so I, I go, Hey, uh, okay. You know, like he's doing it. And, and that's the way his coach runs the program. The longer you're in the program there, the more responsibility you have. So, you know, Brad is probably the best player on the team at the time. So he's given the most responsibility and his thing is to get out there early and set up the sound system. And, um, that was, that was one of those little, that's one of those boxes and in the intangibles that you're going to check. And, and, you know, even those coaches telling him to do it, he's, he's in full uni, he's out early and, and he's got his responsibility and he's covering it. And, uh, so leaning on the coaches and, and from my experience, like coaches tell the truth, they're going to tell you great kid, good worker. Uh, he's a gamer. He's not a gamer. He'll rise to the occasion. Uh, comes early, stays late. Like, you can see a lot just by their behavior, like, you know, how they wear their uniform, how they stretch, how they play catch, you know, their energy level during, during pregame, um, all of that. So you, you have to trust your eyes and you have to trust your judgment when, when you're looking at kids and, and we're, we're wrong a lot. You know, it's people, you, you can, you can be fooled or you can get a wrong read, but ultimately, you know, doing this, you, you have to trust your instincts and, and, um, but you try and you try and weigh in as many factors as possible. And, and, uh, but that was just like one little example. I was like, okay, like I, I, I like that this kid is setting up the sound system. It has nothing <laughs> to do with the baseball skills, you know, before the game, nothing at all, but he's out doing his job and he's being a good teammate and he's helping the program. And so that, that, that does check a box for us for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, being a good teammate, but also being a leader on, uh, on the team too, right? I mean, and no so how, how, how do you guys go about cultivating leadership within your program? Um, in, in a number of ways. So 
you know, like that one of the first team meetings we have during the fall, um, Coach Lee gives the floor to some of our returning players and, and lets them talk to the underclassmen about expectations and experiences and the the starting point and the point that they're at right now. Um, having those upperclassmen or those leaders to be stretch every day. And, and we reformatted our, our stretch routine a couple of years ago and um, eliminated uh, all the chatter. So they, they go through a dynamic warmup where you're, you're, you couldn't do it and, and carry on a conversation. And um, those guys being uh, involved, you know, in, in certain aspects of Cal Poly outside of the baseball program. But uh, yeah, you, you, you want your, your team to be led by upperclassmen and lead by example. And uh, so there, there's a, there's subtle ways that, that coach does it, but really, you know, it kind of sets the tone in that first team meeting by, asking some of those upperclassmen to um, share their experiences and, and say, Hey, you know, at your point when I came in and you're looking around the room and you don't know who's who and where do I fit in? And, um, you know, a few years later, they're leading the team in innings pitched or uh, batting average or, or, or any of those uh, categories. But uh, yeah, you try to just through the daily conversations and reinforcing behaviors and, um, I always feel too like the longer you're in the program, the more responsibility you have. And, and I will, you know, gently push on some of those upperclassmen at times to be like, Hey, you know, it, it's your time to, you know, start to use your voice and, and you've got to be up on the rail and you have know, flush that bat at bat or that bat inning and, and really get behind your teammates and, and, you know, lead, lead from in front, not from behind. Yeah. And I think, you know, you're, you're probably, in your career, hopefully never going to have a, a challenge to leadership like like we have this this spring, right, with the cancellation uh, of the season. For you personally, uh, you know, what's been the most challenging thing for you to deal with uh, with the cancellation of the spring? Obviously, we talked about at the top of the show, the, the silver lining, right, is you get to spend a whole whole lot more time with your with your family here in the springtime. But I mean, as a coach who's used to being on a ball field from, you know, the day you were born <laughs> to, to, through today, uh, you know, at this time of year, what's been the most challenging thing for you uh, with the cancellation of the spring season? Uh, I, honestly, I think it's just the it's the uncertainty of, of what's next. And it's not something that you try and think about too much. Um, you know, there's there's a lot bigger issues than baseball or not having baseball you know going on nationally right now so um it 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 gives you a lot of perspective on, on a, a lot of different things so you know we're we were on a zoom conference with our president yesterday and we're all trying to figure out what's next so i, I think that's that's the challenge is is the uncertainty of it and how i'm dealing with that challenge is just going back to being present the day to day, like what can I do today to um, try to I- impact the program and get a little bit better and, and uh, developing a, a whole different routine. So um, we're, we're as co- coaches, we're real creatures of habit and we like to be in a routine and um, 12, 28, I would be finishing lunch and three o'clock stretch. And you know, what time am I putting my uniform on and all that, stuff and so it, it's really you know it's been flipped on its ear and, and changed so um but just going back to being present and day to day and developing a new routine has helped me 
um, just with with the immediate movement forward, and then big picture wise, uh, I'm just going to adapt as as things start to unfold, and and there's going to be a lot of people that are going to really be hurting um, financially, you know, on the other side of of coming out of this this shutdown and things like that. So. Um, I don't know. That's that's the perfect answer, but but just being present day to day and 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 focusing on what what is right in front of me and what I can do and, and can can control. Yeah, the old adage, right? Control the controllables, and and that's sure. it's, it's 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 challenging. It certainly is. But uh, do you how, how do you think this impacts the college game moving forward? I mean, either from a a rostering standpoint or. Uh, you know, maybe there's talk about, and I don't know if you read the article, but there's talk about some some conferences uh, in the South, I believe it is, in the Southeast that are talking about just kind of doing a regionalized schedule between those conferences. And I know, obviously, on the West Coast, you, you know, you guys are doing that with your Tuesday midweek games. But what do you think the long-term impact will be on the college game, uh, again, either from a, a regionalized standpoint or from a uh, rostering standpoint. You know, I, I don't. I don't think that long term the roster is going to really get get transformed too much. You know, guys getting their year back. Um, that's a good thing, and and the NCAA did the right thing by allowing that. But um, if you grad, you still have to go to grad. Slam dunk that while some schools can pay for grad school, you know, some schools can't. So guys have to have to decide whether or not they they really want to play one more year of college baseball and go to grad school or just you know get on with their life if, if professional baseball is not in the cards i think short term you'll see some impact in scheduling because every college in the country is being affected financially and so they'll find creative ways to uh, cut back on budgets so that will be the immediate and i would expect you know, two years that you'll see some of that. So teams aren't going to fly, you know, across the country um, to go play a series and you'll have to stay a little bit closer to home. Like we will turn into a lot of places will turn into a bus lake where wherever you can get to on a bus, you can go play. Um, so I think that that, def- that will definitely have an impact here for um, a couple of years. And then, you know, like, like things always do less, they, they ebb and flow and they go in these cycles and, and, uh, um, the country will recover at some point, and, and as we recover, I think you know business goes back to you know business as usual. And and uh, but it, it will be there will be some there will definitely be some impact felt in the next probably two years, especially with scheduling and things like that. Do you, do you think this leads to changes in the college game? Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of talk about obviously scholarships and third paid assistance and. That, that sort of conversations, but do you think this leads to any any changes in the game? Uh, I, I don't. I I really don't have an, an educated opinion on that. Like, but like the third paid assistant right now, oh, boy, that I can't see anyone moving in that direction. You know, like we were, we were, I felt like we were we were getting really close. Like it was it was going to happen. Like all the justifications are are reasonable and rational and things like that. But um, across the board, every college is going to 
is being affected dramatically. And it, it, it always starts with enrollment, you know, and, and enrollments are in some places that will, will go down and, and uh, teams will be affected by that. So um, it, it's, it's going to take a few years to recover before I think any significant changes kind of start to take place again. Yeah, I tend to I tend to agree with you on that one, Teddy. This awesome conversation. I, I really appreciate it. But before I let you go, Teddy, we I got to put you through the coach's rapid fire. Uh, just about ten or twelve questions. First thing that pops into your mind, just fire away. Are you ready to roll? Love it. All right. Yeah. Here, here we go. Small ball or gorilla ball? Uh, perfect world. Gorilla ball. One of the bombs. <laughs> A country or hip hop? Hip hop. Costco or Sam's Club? Neither. Okay, I I I, I, felt, I felt like I was going to get that answer from you, knowing you a little bit. But uh, <laughs> college football or the NFL? College. Trackman or Rapsodo? Uh, Rapsodo. Favorite vacation spot? Hawaii. Uh, Mac or PC? Mac. Best singer on your team? Oh, singer. Yeah. I no idea. <laughs> Best dancer on the team. Um no idea. Okay, favorite stadium you've ever been in? Fenway. Go to song to sing in the shower. Oh jeez. I don't have one. Favorite sports team? Dodgers. Modified this one a little bit for you. Whole Foods or Sprouts? Kind of go sprouts, better value. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Teddy, man, I, I can't thank you enough, man, for making some time and, and sharing some thoughts on all things Cal Poly with us, man. I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, Les. I want to thank Teddy Ward for joining me on the podcast today. Be sure to check out prepbaseballreport.com for all your news and information. And until next time, we'll see you at the yard. <laughs>